We're doing a series, a summer series called Summer Road Trip. If you were with us today for the first time, uh, we've been some places in the month of June. Uh, we've been to St. Louis and, uh, gosh, we went to Las Vegas and Jackson Hole, Wyoming and Hollywood. Last week we were in Boston and today we're going to be in New York, as you can probably see from the uh, backdrop there. I didn't have an I Heart New York t-shirt. If I'd have had one, I'd have wore it. Uh, but I didn't, so I spared y'all that, uh, that little thing. But the New York City is an interesting place. The largest city, uh, in the United States called by some the city that never sleeps. It's quite a metropolis. What do you think about when you think of New York? What comes to mind when you consider New York City? Now, I've never been there, but I've seen a lot of pictures and read a lot of stuff. And uh, when I first chose New York as a destination, I thought about, well, it's the Big Apple. Now, I used to know why they call it the Big Apple, but I, don't, I can't remember. But anyway, uh, it'd be a great introduction to uh, add a sermon about Adam and Eve, the Big Apple. But anyway, that's the first thing I thought of. And some people think, when they think of New York, they think about the Statue of Liberty. And maybe this week with, uh, with Independence Day and celebrating our freedom and all that, maybe you thought about uh, freedom or the Statue of Liberty is really indicative of that. Well, other people think about, they think about Times Square. And uh, probably every one of us has seen the ball drop on New Year's Eve. And they, you know, they advertise or they, uh, uh, whatever the word is, they, sh- they show it on TV, whatever you call that. Broadcast, there you go. They broadcast from Times Square every year on New Year's Eve. And uh, you see all those signs. You know, that... Uh, Times Square is the only place in New York where it's mandatory that you have uh, one of those. Your sign has to be a big screen. It's either, uh, uh, and I forget the exact thing they call They call them spectaculars. And then if you have the really big one, they call them jumbotrons. And so a lot of people think about uh, Times Square when they think of New Year's Eve. It's by some considered to be the crossroads of America. Or it might be that Madison Avenue comes to mind. You might think about marketing and, and, and all the stuff that goes along with that. And it kind of uh, is the standard for that. Uh, I was reminded after the early service, some people think of Carnegie Hall. Uh, it's kind of the centerpiece of of uh, performing arts and music, or you might think about drama. We were in Hollywood a couple weeks ago. We talked about the movie industry, and Hollywood's the centerpiece for that. But when it comes to drama, man, it's New York. And and so you just think about that. Or you may think about, uh, when you think of New York, you may think about uh, Wall Street and NASDAQ and all that kind of stuff. You might think about finances, and we'll go there in just a minute and talk about that. Or you might... Uh, you may think about baseball. If you're a Ranger fan, you probably have a special place in your heart for the Yankees. Uh, you, you know, I remember way back to John Wetland and the, the blonde say, you know, I can go way back. I was a Braves fan uh, in Atlanta, so I hate the stinking Mets. I mean, I just, it's just kind of goes with the deal. So when you think about New York, you think about that stuff. And, and the interesting thing about New York is there's so many different things that it's known, it's known for this and it's known for that. Well, it has an influence on this and it has an influence on that. Or, or uh, you may think about um, the World Trade Center and the disaster of 911. Or you may think about the Empire Statement. So there's so many things that come to mind. But as I thought about this and as I worked on this, one of the things about New York is New York tends to set the standard for a lot of our culture. I mean, they set the standard. I mean, they, it's where, if, 
for news. I mean, if you like your news fair and balanced, you can get it. If you like your news uh, slanted and something, you can get it. I mean, it just, New York has it all. But when it, when it comes to, to the culture, New York sets the standard for news. It sets the standard for finances and investment. It sets the standard for, for advertisement. It sets the standard for fashion. Ladies, when you go to buy your, your fall wardrobe, whatever that might be, or your kids school clothes and your dresses or whatever it is that you buy, uh, it, much of it trickles down from the fashion industry in New York. So as we thought about that, as I thought about New York, I thought, man, New York is the standard for so many things. And so this morning I want to talk about the, the idea of, of investing because new, you know, with Wall Street and NASDAQ and so many financial empires seated in New York City, it sets the standard for investments and finances in many ways. And this morning we're going to talk about what is God's standard for stewardship in uh, financial investment. And we'll get to that in just a second. But, you know, that's really the reason they picked the World Trade Center to attack and they picked New York because it's the financial center of the United States. It's literally the financial center of the universe in New York City. And so it's a great jumping off point to talk about investing your life. And so I want us to look at what Jesus had to say about some strategies uh, for finance and, and stewardship. So if you have your Bibles, there in Matthew 25. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to read a few verses. But in honor of the Lord's Word, let's stand together. We're going to read the parable of the talents. And then I want to share some principles with you that I think will help you and will help me going forward. Again, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent each according to his ability. That's an important phrase. We may not get back to it. So just understand God's given to each of us according to our ability. Reading on. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put the money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Interesting point here. He gives to each according to his ability. He rewards each according to ability. So it's, it's not how much we have. It's how faithful we are with what we have that we're going to be re- rewarded for. Reading on. Then the man who had received the one talent came, Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, investing where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather 
where I've not scattered? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thank you for joining me in reading the word. You can be seated. As we look at this, before we kind of get into the strategy, and by the way, I want to give you a a five-point strategy for investing your life. But just a couple things that stand out. Uh, first of all, just for some context, verse 14 says, again, it will be like, it is a reference to the kingdom of heaven. And so you could almost plug in there. Again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey. Well, who's the man? The man's Jesus. Jesus came. He invested his life. Then he went away. He went on a journey. He's going to come again. And then it says, uh, who called his servants... Who's his servants? Well, it's the people of God. Now, interestingly enough, this the term servants in the context of this parable and the one preceding it, it was written or spoken to the people who claimed to be or proclaimed to be followers of Jesus Christ, who claimed to be genuine disciples of Christ. Now, this, ver- this is not talking to the pagans. It's not talking to the atheists. It's not talking to the agnostics. This parable here is talking to the people who proclaim to be followers of God and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what we'll find out as you look at the story, not everyone that claimed to be a true follower of Jesus turned out to be true. And, you know, there's another parable where Jesus talks about the wheat and the tares. And he's talking about how when you look at a person's fruit in their life, you find out if their faith is genuine or real. So in our particular example here, we have two guys that are true followers of Christ and one that, as it turns out, is just a pretender. And so uh, as we think about that, let's look into the kind of the text because uh, there's two servants. I mean, there's the three servants who, you know, kind of reference to us. And then it says he entrusted his property to them. And so the kind of the picture is that Jesus came. He's entrusted his property to those who are followers of him. And that one day he's going to come back and evaluate. Now, what is his property? Well, in the parable... It's a talent, which is just a, a measure of money or a measure of possessions. You can have a talent of gold or a talent of silver. But, it, but it's a measurement of money. Now, But I want us to think a little more about that because God has entrusted to you and me a... Uh, how do we say this? God's entrusted to us a group of resources that he's given to you and that he's given to me. And it's his property. Now, this bundle of resources that you have, it's made up of your life. It's made up of your time. It's made up of your gifts and talents, your abilities. It's made up of your physical body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit if you're a believer. It's made up of your personal spiritual testimony and as well as being made up of your personal possessions and treasures, whatever you want to call them. And so so this bundle of resources God has entrusted to you. And as we study the scriptures here, the idea is that uh, because God's entrusted it to us, we are to be stewards 
of what he's given us. In other words, we are to be managers. Now, a stewardship or a steward is simply a manager, and the responsibility of a manager is to take care of someone else's property. And so as we think about this idea of investing our life in every area of our life, I want you to think about this bundle of resources that God has given you. God has loaned them to you. They're his property. And so there's two principles that I want us to to understand up front. And then I'm going to give you a strategy for how to live your life. Principle number one is when it comes to that bundle of resources, your life, your money, your time, your gifts, your talent, your body. Principle number one is God owns it all. Okay, God owns it all. You're just a steward. Your kids aren't yours. Your money isn't yours. Your time, your life isn't yours. It is a, it is a stewardship. It's a trust that God has given to you. And because it is, and because God owns it all, and by the way, the scripture is very clear that God owns it all. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So everybody and everything belongs to God. We sang that uh, second song we sang after the welcome. is one of my favorites, God, you reign. Forever and ever, God's going to reign because he is sovereign over the universe. And he owns my life and my stuff. And he owns your life and your stuff. And we're just managers. And so understand that God owns it all. And because he owns it all, that means that he has a right to any of it he wants. I got a really close friend back in Georgia. We exercised together. We, hey, he was our finance chairman, uh, deacon. We just did a lot of things together. Just uh, tremendously respected. Well, about a month ago, or probably five weeks ago, uh, found out that his two, almost three-year-old has leukemia. And uh, we've just been praying with him and kind of following up. And it's interesting to read uh, because one of the first things that he wrote on his little care page was that, you know, these kids... Our stewardship that God has loaned to us. And we have them for a while. And that if God wants them, he can have them. And so if God owns it all, and he does, he has a right to whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Now, because we're stewards, we have a responsibility to manage what he's given us. But when he wants it, he can have it because it's really not ours. So first principle, God owns it all. The second principle, by the way, great way to illustrate that, Ron Blue wrote a book called Mastering Your Money. It's a, it's a pretty good read. It's about uh, 15 years old. But in his book, he said, to illustrate the point of God has the right and we have the responsibility, he said, you know, I own this automobile. My daughter turned 16. She got her driver's license. And he says, I took out the keys and I... You know, and I just, I pulled him out. I can't get mine out of my pocket, but he took out his keys and he says, I handed her the keys. And she assumed the responsibility of having that car. She got to drive it. She got to put gas in it and all the things that go along with that. He said, but she understood anytime I wanted, I could come and take the keys because I own the car. She was just a manager of the car. God owns my life. God owns your life. He owns our stuff. 
He owns our tithe. I mean, it's the earth and everything in it is his. And so understand that God owns it all, principle number one. And principle number two, we must give an account for how we manage it. I don't know how it's going to look. I don't know uh, kind of how, how it's going to transpire. But one day, God's going to audit your life. And one day, God is going to audit my life. And he's going to evaluate how we spend our money, how we used our time, what we did with our spiritual gifts and talents, how we managed our body, and what we did with our personal spiritual testimony. One day, God's going to audit our life. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, Hebrews. In Romans, it says in verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 12, it says, when we die, every one of us will give an account of himself to God. So one day, you and I are going to be accountable to God. So here's what I want you to understand. When you think about finances, when you think about stewarding your life, when you think about your time, God owns it. And one day, as you manage it and as I manage it, we're going to be accountable for it. So, because that's true, I want to share with you a strategy for investing your life. Now, you got two options. You can either spend your life or you can invest it. If you spend your life, you do whatever you want with it. If you invest it, you're planning to get a return uh, that has lasting value. And that's what investing is. And if you make a spiritual investment, it means you're, you're putting your resources, your time, your money, your talent into something that's going to have uh, lasting and even re- eternal rewards. You know, after the baptism, I talked about that. I mean, what better way to spend your time than investing in the generations that don't yet know the Lord Jesus? I mean, imagine what it will be like one day in heaven to know that there's kids that have come to know Christ because you're willing to spend your time. And that's what an investment is. So how do you invest your life? Now, I'm not just talking about money. Now, primary, obviously, when you talk about stewardship, you talk about investing, we think about money. Uh, and it is about money, but it's about a lot more than money. It's about our life. And so let's talk about these five steps. Very practical things. Number one, set goal, Set goals. What do you want out, what do you want out of your life? If, if you had to sit down with somebody this afternoon and they said, what do you want to accomplish with your life? What do you want out of your life? What would you tell them? And what would you, I mean, what do you want out of your life? Uh, one year they asked one of the Miss America candidates, they said, what do you, what is your, if you get Miss America, what do you want to accomplish? She said, I want world peace and I want to have my own apartment. And I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> What a dream. My own apartment in world peace. You know, one's not possible and, and one, one that, you know, is, is, is no big deal. But, but, but what do you want out of your life? I mean, what is your goal? Uh, what are your hopes and dreams? I mean, if you really sit down and figure out when you get to the end of your life, what do you want it to look like? Well, I want to be a baseball player. I want to, you know, I want to do this. What do you, what is your goal? Look at verse 16. This guy had a goal. Notice the, the guy with five talents. Verse 16 says, Says the man who had received the five talents, he went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. And then down in verse 19, or excuse me, verse 20, it says the man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. Look, I've gained five more. Man, his goal in his life was to please his father. His goal in life was to one day stand before the king of the universe and have the king of the universe say to him, well done, good and faithful servant. What is your goal for your life? I mean, when you get to the end of your life, what do you want people? More importantly, what do you want God to say about you? Let me ask it this way. 
And if you sit down with God this afternoon, or if I sit down with God this afternoon, and He looked at how I spend my money, and He looked at my calendar, and He looked at how I invest my time, and He looked at where I serve and how I use my gifts, and He looked at how you're using your gifts and time. When He looked at it, every area of your life, would He say to you and me, well done, good and faithful servant? Or maybe would He say, you lazy servant? So I just, what I want you to wrestle with is what goal do you have for your life? What do you want your life to to accomplish? Because see, you only go around once. And then after, at the end of it, God's going to audit it. And He's going to ask you. So you need, first of all, you need to set some goals. The second principle, or the second part of the strategy, is you need to start... Now, managing your life. If you're not, if you go to a financial planner and you say, well, you know, I, I need to think about retirement. I need to think about sending my kids to college or I need to think about, I need to save for my parents, you know, whatever it is. If you go sit down with a financial planner, they're going to tell you, you need to set some goals. And then they're going to say, you need to start immediately saving. You know, and, and you read all these books and they say, well, you know, if you start, if when you're in your 20s, you set aside X amount of money, then in 40 years, it'll be worth all this amount of money. Why? Because if you, if you start in your 20s, I'm not in my 20s. Now I've started, but I'm just saying, you know, they, they tell you start early. So, hey, you guys that are in your 20s, start saving now. And, and I'll tell you why, because the sooner you start, the more you have it working for you. And that's what they talk. They talk about a principle called. Now I'm not a financial guy, Frank. You could probably speak to this, but they talk about the, um, you know, the principle of compounding interest. In other words, uh, and I'll say more about this in just a second. Uh, but they say you start investing now because you add a little now and a little bit and a little bit, and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And so let me just say to you this morning: if when it comes to your spiritual life. You need to start investing your spiritual life. Now, if you don't tithe, if you don't give the first 10% of your income uh, through your church and then give offerings to God, you should start now. You should start today tithing if you don't tithe. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should tithe. And if, you have, if you've not started that, you should start today. Now, some of you would say, I can't afford to tithe. I'm going to tell you, I can't afford not to tithe. Because here's what I found out. God can do more with the 90% left over than I can do with the 100% when I don't trust God. I, that, is, that has been so true in my life. I could, I could tell you story after story. Some of you, I could call you up and you could say, yeah, when I started tithing, here's what God did. I was sitting in uh, Bellevue Baptist Church on a Sunday night in the fall of 1986. I'd been in seminary a few months. I'd been working with a guy. He was a landscaper. He was getting married. He was engaged, getting married. We never worked. I didn't. I was broke. I'm sitting in church, and the guy's talking about giving and, and you know and tithing and all this stuff. And I mean, I didn't have. Any, I had just a little bit, but I remember saying, "Okay." I'm going to take you at your word. And I remember writing out a check that I really couldn't afford to give up. I dropped in the offering plate Sunday night, drive from Memphis to Raleigh, my, my little suburb where I live, 
When I get home, the phone rings, and it's, it's my best friend from seminary. He says, hey, Mike, are you working tomorrow? I said, no. He says, well, my boss said I could bring you to work. And so the next morning, I went to work roofing houses, and for, there was not a day in seminary when God didn't provide me with work and finances to meet my needs. And I just learned another lesson that if you trust him, he's faithful. And so if you don't tithe, I'm just telling you, you're missing a blessing. Because God can do more with what's left over than you can do with all of it. And by the way, it's all his. If you don't, you may not, uh, you may not give it to him. You, you're probably not going to get to enjoy it. Because you can't manage it like he can manage it. So just if you don't tithe, you're to start today. If you don't, if you don't serve in the kingdom of God, this is not just about money. If you don't serve in the kingdom of God and you're a believer in Christ, you ought to, you ought to start today finding a way to use your gifts and your talents for the kingdom of God. I mean, if you're not engaged in ministry, uh, when the service is over, you ought to come see me or Wyatt or Amy in the children's building or, or you ought to go to somebody and say, hey, I, find me a place that I want to start this week serving and ministering for the glory of God. Why? Because when you start now, it compounds all the way out into the future. I mean, that's what they tell you. If you put $10,000 in account when you're 20 and it earns so many percent, then when you get to be six, it'll be worth all this money. Because interest, you know, you gain interest and it adds up and then you get interest on the interest and interest on, and it goes along. Think about this. Imagine with me, let's say you're 15. One of you got, one of you students, let's say you're 15 and you go to school, uh, in August and the second week, the second week of school, uh, you, Meet someone that doesn't know Christ and you say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pour my life into them and you share Christ with them. And let's just say your 15 year old friend gives their life to Jesus and you've had an influence in their life. And let's just say this 15 year old friend that you lead to Christ, uh, they begin to share their faith and they lead somebody else to Christ. And the way God's system works out is if, when you invest in this person and they come to Christ, then everybody they influence that comes to Christ, for lack of a better word, you get a cut of that. It's kind of like, you know, multi-level marketing, you know, the Amway thing. We all are afraid of that stuff. That's a biblical principle that you make a disciple and then that disciple goes and makes two more disciples and, and that it just keeps going and going. But just imagine with it. Just think about this for a minute. Let's say when you're young, you invest your life in a few people and they come to know Jesus Christ and then they, then everybody they influence that comes to know Jesus. And this stuff just keeps adding and adding and adding. I mean, imagine what could happen one day when you stand before God in eternity and you look out there and there are thousands of people that are in heaven. Because you decided to invest in a 15-year-old kid to share your testimony. And you shared and he, he got saved and then he shared and they got saved. And it just grows and grows and grows. Listen, listen, you need to start now investing your life for the glory of God. The sooner you start, the sooner we start, the more we're going to accumulate. That's true financially. But that's true spiritually. I mean, just think about it. There could be thousands of people that are in heaven because of your influence. Or there could be nobody in heaven 
because of your influence. Because you didn't give to missions. Because you didn't share your testimony. Because you didn't work in VBS or, or volunteer in the preschool. You, you, you never invested anything. And so you get to the end of your spiritual life. And there's just no spiritual resources. But I'm telling you, I'm just telling you, if you take your time, if you take your gifts, if you take your testimony, and you take your money, and you invest it in the kingdom of God, it'll be credited to your account. In fact, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. I read this. Uh, it's not in my notes, but I read it my quiet time this morning. Philippians chapter 4. Paul's writing to the low church in Macedonia. And uh, they had been given. Nobody else had been given. And it says there, let me just pick up about verse 15. It says, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but listen to this statement. You ought to underline this in your Bible. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. There's an account for you and me in heaven that's based on the resources God's entrusted to us. And when we invest our time and our life and our money and our gifts in the kingdom... It's credited to our account. And that account grows and grows and grows. Did, did you know the reason? Do you know why that when you, when a person dies and go to heaven, goes to heaven, they don't go immediately to judgment? The judgment seat of Christ comes after the rapture. Do you know why? Because God's still adding up, compounding the results of all the investments that people have made. And so if you're, listen, if you're going to invest your life wisely, you need to set some spiritual goals. Number two, you need to start investing now. If you don't tithe, start today. If you don't serve, start today. If you don't share your faith, start today. Start today. Because what you start now will grow and grow and grow. Third principle, not only do you set goals, not only do you start now, but, but uh, we find also you need to spend wisely. Look at, back in Matthew 25, look at verse 16 again. It says, the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. Now, if you have the English standard or maybe some of the other translation, it doesn't use the word work. It uses the word traded. It says, in fact, the ESV says he had received the five talents, went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. Now, why is that significant? He didn't just make one investment. He just kept trading over and over, doing business, making a little, adding a little here, adding a little there, adding a little bit over there. And, and so here's what I'm saying. You, you need to spend your your resources wisely. You need to spend your money wisely, your time wisely, your gifts wisely. I, I don't know how it works for you, but there, there's, there's a lot more things to spend money on than I have money to spend. I mean, there's, there's a lot more things I would like to use my money for than I have money to use. Now, you, might, you may have more money than you know what to do with. I don't know. I don't. So I need to be wise. Most of us need to be wise. You, only, you don't have enough time to do everything you want, Right? There's all, you'd always like time to go here or do here or, or be there, right? So you need to be wise in how you spend your time. The scripture says that we need to be wise. Because whether it's your gifts and talents, whether it's your time, whether it's your money, there's plenty of places. I mean, people want to spend your money. 
I mean, they, people, they'll spend your money and you don't even know it. How many of you text? Any, go, you can admit, this is not rhetorical. Just fess up. You text, I know. All right. Well, I text. My wife tries not to text. But on June 6th, unbeknownst to her or me, she got a text from some third party that wanted to sell her a subscription to joke alerts for $9.99 a month. She didn't know it. I didn't know it till the phone bill came in. And it's like 20 something dollars higher than it should have been. So I called them up and said, what's the, you know, what's the deal? They said, well, you had it. And so here's the thing. And I don't know if you know, you probably know this. I, we're not real tech, technical over there. But they send you this text and says, hey, do you want a subscription to joke alerts? And if you don't respond, they bill it to your account. So it took me 20 minutes yesterday to get that $40 off of my bill for the next two months. But here's my, here's the whole principle I want to get to. A lot of people want your money. And a lot of people want your time. And a lot of people want you to use your gifts for whatever's important to them. And you've got to decide how you're going to spend your life or somebody else will. And what the lady told me is that when you get that text, you just need to send it back that says, stop. This week, there's some people, they're going to want you to use your time for something that's not really important. And you need to say, stop. This week, there's going to be an opportunity for you to to spend some of your money, hard-earned money, for something that's not significant and wise, and you just need to say, stop. You need to spend your life wisely. Why? Because we only got one. Why? Because one day we're going to be accountable. So if you're going to invest your life, set goals. Start now. Start early. Spend wisely. Then there's a third, a fourth principle is, is you need to, to spread it around. Look at verse 21. This, I just found this very interesting. Verse 21 says, His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. If you go down to the financial planning office, they're going to tell you, you need to diversify, diversify, diversify. That's financial speak for don't put all your eggs in one basket. Okay. You need some aggressive, risky stock that's got a high risk, but a high rate of return. You need some very, uh, conservative, you know, maybe some stocks and bonds that you're not going to make much, but you're not going to lose much. And they're going to tell you, you need to balance. You need to divert. You need some diversity everywhere. You need some small cap and some uh, growth equity. You just need some different things to protect yourself, to make sure you're wisely invested, to have a good portfolio. You need variety and balance. Well, that's true in your spiritual life. You need to diversify your spiritual life. And that means two things. The first thing that means is that you don't, your spirituality doesn't need to all be in one area. In other words, you can't just say, well, I'm going to give my tithe to my church and I'm not going to serve and I'm not going to use my gifts and I'm not going to be involved. You, you can't, you can't do that. You, you don't have balance. Or you can't say, well, uh, you know, I serve, so I'm not going to give my tithe. I'm not going to volunteer because I did it. 
you need to, you need balance. You need to give your tithe. You need to be engaged and involved in ministry. You need to be serving uh, in some areas of the kingdom. You need diversity in your spiritual life. But then in each one of those areas, like, for example, in fi- you need div- to diversify in how you give your money. I mean, first of all, you should give your tithe to the church. I mean, that's clearly that's scriptural. As a believer, you should give a tithe, the first fruits of your income, through your local church. And that's just the way it is. Now, you may be sitting there, and I'm, this is dangerous, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. You might be sitting there saying, well, you know, but what if I don't like the way the church spends the money or I don't trust how the church spends your money? If you're a believer and that's true, you need to find a church where you trust how they spend their money. But when you stand before God, you're going to be accountable for how you supported the local ministry. Okay? If you read Acts chapter 5, Barnabas sold the property and he brought it and he laid it at the apostles' feet and said, I trust you to do the work of the ministry. So, but you need to give through your church. But you don't just need to give through your church. You need to, we need to be involved in missions. We need to give money to missions. We need to help support the, support the poor, however that looks. We, as believers, we ought to be, we ought to give to those who've invested in us. That's another area that we give. But what I'm saying is you need diversity in your spiritual life. You need diversity in your giving. You give to the church. You give to missions. You give to the building. You support the poor and the needy. Uh, you give to those who have made an investment in you. You have diversification in your spiritual portfolio. Why? Because you, you want a great return on your investment. And when you have a diversified portfolio, you give yourself the best opportunity for that kind of return. I, I remember when I first started the investment thing, the guy was saying, you need a little bit of, you need to put a little bit in an international fund. He said, it's risky, but it's got a great opportunity. For reward. Think about your spiritual life. I mean, we should all be given a little bit to missions. Maybe it's risky, but what about the potential for reward? I mean, did you know that one in four people across the globe either have never heard the name of Jesus or they don't have enough information about him to make a decision to follow him? That's 1.8 uh, billion people, roughly. 1.6 to 1.8 billion people. Either they've never heard his name or they don't know enough about him to trust him for eternity. So you and I should give to missions. I read a, I read a, uh, some of the stuff I was reading this week. Just think about this. If every Southern Baptist gave $100 a year to missions. That would be over $1.5 billion each year that we could use for the mission field. If every one of us gave just $100 to missions, that's about 28 cents a day. 28 cents a day. And just imagine if we've been doing that. Instead, we'll, we'll, we'll collect 150 million, 175 million for, for foreign mission offerings. So we collect a tenth of that. That's just the Southern Baptists. That doesn't count the Assembly of God and, and the Methodists and all the others. But just imagine how we could influence our globe. If, if the people of God, if we just invest in eternity. 
I mean, just think if we invested a hundred dollars in foreign missions as a congregation. If all of us gave a hundred dollars per person, eighty, ninety, a hundred thousand dollars this year for missions, twenty-eight cent a day. Here's what I'm saying: you need to spread it around because one day we're going to be accountable for what we do. Then there's one one last principle. Let me share it. Share with it. I call it send it ahead. One of the things they'll tell you if you go make an investment, they'll talk about thinking long term. You know, they always talk about, well, you know, think long term. You, you don't worry about the short term. You know, and, and there's two reasons they do that. Number one, it's wise. Number two is they don't want you to get nervous when you put $1,400 into your uh, retirement fund and lose 7000 because that happens. I saw that on my statement just for one of the cor- one of the recent quarters. Put in 1400 for retirement and lost over 7000 in three months. And so they say, well, you don't, you don't pay attention to that. You look long term. Because over the long term, you add little by little by little by little. So they say. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, you know, the last five years, maybe not so much. But, but over, you know, that's just the rule. Okay. But we need to do that spiritually. We need to think long term. We, you know, and so if, if we think long term, we need to think about how are we going to invest in the kingdom, you know, Jesus said in Matthew six nineteen, He said, "Do not lay up for yourself treasures here on earth, where uh, rust and moth destroy, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven." You can't listen. You can't take it with you. I read a story about a man who accumulated. He saved all his money and he put it under the mattress. And uh, he was getting older and he was getting beginning to get a little sick. And he had and he was such a generous guy. He said to his wife, "Promise me." You'll put my money in the casket with me. I've saved it my whole life. I want to take it to heaven with me. Promise me you'll do it. She said, I promise. He didn't trust her, so he said to his brother, he says, you make sure that my wife puts my money in the casket. Well, the time came, he died, and they buried him. And a few days later, the brother goes to the wife and says, all right, did you put his money in the casket? She said, absolutely. She said, I wrote him a check for the whole amount. (laughs) I wonder if she ever cashed it as the question, you know. But here's the thing. You can't take it with you. To quote George Strait, that great theologian, I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul. You, you, you're not taking it. The only thing you can do is send it ahead. That's all you can do. Because what you, what you have when you die... Somebody else is going to spend it. Somebody else is going to drive it. Somebody else is going to live in it. If you want to take your money with you to heaven, you got to invest in the kingdom of God. And so you need to be investing your time. You need to be investing your money. You need to be using your gifts for the glory of God. Now think about this. Everything you have is His. He owns it all. We're just stewards. We're just managers. We have responsibility. And one day we're going to be accountable. And so I want to encourage you today to evaluate your spiritual life. Just think about your money. 
How are you investing it for the kingdom? Think about your time. How are you investing your time for the kingdom? Think about your the set of gifts and talents you have. How are you using that for the kingdom of God? Because one day God's going to audit and you're going to be rewarded based on what you've done for the kingdom of God. That's not to say we can't enjoy life and, and spend money. and do, I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is we need to think long term. Scarcely any of us will last more than 100 years, I don't think. But our soul is going to last for eternity. And how we manage the resources God's given us will determine, based on the passage, I wish we had more time, but how we manage the resources God's given us will determine what life's like in eternity. So invest wisely. Invest well and invest now.